Hi, Pastor Rob here from City East Church and Intel Ministries. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. Now if you could turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter, chapter 2. It's going to be chapter 2, verse 4. Now I'm reading from the ESV. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious... You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offence. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you have given us this wonderful, wonderful word to get us through this life, a textbook to life to help us with every uh, road that we have to take and every possible extreme of life that we will confront, your word has something for us. And uh, Lord, I just pray that this morning that you're going to speak through me now by the power of the Holy Spirit, that I will not be speaking uh, my own prejudices and likes or dislikes, but Lord, it will be by the Spirit of God. And I pray that everything that I've written has been by the Spirit of God and that if I was to say something not in line with your will, that you'll close my mouth, Lord. But will only open my mouth will only open for your glory and for your word to be taught. And I pray that everyone here will have open spirits and that your power, the wonderful Holy Spirit will come upon each and every one of them and reveal something from what I'm uh, ministering this morning. And I pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. I believe that many of us in the universal church have forgotten who we are in Christ. I really believe it. I see it see it all the time. I talk to Christians and I am always fascinated by how little they know about who they really are in Jesus. Many Christians have not, even, have not received true revelation about the fullness of what Christ died to give them. Many of us, and I've been there, and I know that there's been times in my life and for long periods where I had not received a revelation of the fullness of what Christ had done for us on the cross. That it had slipped out of my sights. I may have had it at one stage. One anointed minister came, ministered a message, and I received it, and I understood it at that point. But then the weeks rolled on, and I'd just forgotten. Who, who am I in Jesus anyway? And we've got to know this stuff. 
This is very important that we know who we are in Christ or who, what God says about us, who God thinks we are. This is why this passage of Scripture is so critical for us today. One thing I must point out, though, is that this passage is not to boost our egos or puff us up with pride. It's not for that. It's not so we walk out of here saying, oh, I'm a priest in the kingdom of God. Look out. Here I come. You know, it's, yes, I'm a priest in the kingdom of God. And what do priests in the kingdom of God do? They serve. Come out as a servant. Not as a, you know, a kingly attitude of the, of the age. Be more a king like Jesus was. A servant king. But it is to reveal to us the truth about who we are in Christ our Saviour. The problem today is we read a passage like this and we say something like this. That, that's beautiful. That's wonderful. Beautiful words. Isn't the Bible wonderful? But we don't get the fullness of, of what the Bible's saying. Yet it does not change or correct our understanding of who we are in Christ because usually we doubt ourselves. We doubt who we are in Jesus and we doubt his ability to use us effectively. It comes back to who we are. We know what Jesus thinks of us, or we, we can have that revelation, but then if we doubt that, then in a sense, we doubt our Saviour, who purchased us with his blood. And in that sense, he's choosing us to serve him. If we doubt him, or if we doubt ourselves, we've doubted his decision that he made to pick us to serve him. And that's offensive, isn't it? That, that would be offensive to God if we start to do that. So therefore, the church is full of pew warmers. And this is what's happened. The church is full of pew warmers with many who are full of iniquity and unbelief and absolutely useless to God. And therefore, we can understand why the church is in the state it's in and why there's, you know, over 95% of people now are unbelievers and passionate unbelievers too. There's now a militant atheist movement, new atheism, headed by guys like, you know, um, Richard Dawkins and other guys. And they're militant in their atheism. They're actually going out there to convert people to atheism. And this has never, never been old atheism. They didn't go to convert it. They were a closet atheist. Now they're out there actually, come on, you know, join our ranks. Give up that Jesus stuff. And you know what? A lot of Christians go, yeah, I don't really get into that Jesus stuff anyway. So I may as well, if you're going to hold a church-style gathering, may as well be an atheist. And this is a problem that we're, we're facing all over the earth. 1 Peter 2.4, this is from the Amplified, says, Come to him then, to that living stone which men tried and threw away, but which is chosen and precious in God's sight. Jesus is the precious stone in the sight of God. Is that right? He is precious. He is the rock upon which the church has been built. But here's how we know him. He is the one who was rejected by men. Even today, he's rejected and discarded by men. This has been the case from the beginning of the church and will be the case until he returns. He's rejected, discarded. And what happens when we claim to be a fundamentalist Christian or someone passionate, evangelical Christian, someone who believes in God with all their heart? We are discarded and rejected also, along with him. But didn't he tell you if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also? This is proof that we serve the true God. This should not make us doubt whether we serve the true God. That should actually confirm, okay, I've been rejected. Great, now I know. 
You know, I went and preached to someone. He rejected me with all his heart. Beautiful. I know that I'm on the right track because they did this to Jesus also. It's a better way of looking at it than going, oh, I feel bad now. He just abused me and walk away all dejected. Revelation 1.7, because it says, as I said before, this has been the case from the beginning of the church and will be the case until he returns. And listen to this, Revelation 1.7 says, Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Why will they mourn? Because they will know in their hearts that they have rejected the Son of God. And therefore, that's why it said, all the peoples of the earth, because we're talking uh, a massive population of people have rejected Jesus, all the peoples of the earth. Now, at the time when he comes, that's when the rapture occurs at that moment. Now, I'm not going to go into when the rapture occurs in timing and sequence. That's another theological class discussion, maybe. I don't know. But... um, He is going to return. Who believes that? He is going to return. The Bible says it clearly. In Matthew 24, it actually gives us the timing of his return right on when he comes. And how is he going to rapture everyone? He's going to send his his angels to the four corners of the earth who are going to capture up his people. The angels will do the rapture. Now, at that time when the people are raptured, then this will take place. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. But you've got to think, you know, even those who pierced him. So what is that saying? That the Pharisees or the Romans that pierced him? Well, it is saying that. Because when Jesus returns, even the dead will see him. Because Jesus will make it clear to the dead he's back. But it also means that everyone who's actually lived today and rejected him, they've pierced him. And also those of us that actually received him. My sins pierced my Lord. He was on that cross for me. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. This is the NIV. It says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. And this is the bit I wanted to draw from this. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And in him... In Jesus, the whole building is joined together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Isn't that a beautiful passage? We have been built upon the foundation stones of the apostles and prophets. Where's that foundation stone? Right there. That's the foundation stone. We are built upon that. The apostles and prophets dug down and laid the foundation stones of the church upon the rock, who is Christ. I was just talking to my father-in-law last night. He was talking about a, uh, the Brooklyn Bridge that was built in New York. And that it was built years and years and years ago. And the way they did it was they had like a box that they placed down in the water that was filled with air, of course. And, and then no water could get in. They'd take that and submerge it down to the base where all the mud and muck is. And then they had to dig all that muck away until they got down to something hard like rock. And when he was saying it, I was thinking of that. that the, the apostles had to dig down and establish themselves upon the rock who is Christ. And that's where we get the word from. So that's how we know this has been deeply dug in and founded upon 
the immovable rock. And when storms rage against the Bible, it stands. 2,000 years now. This, and storms are still raging against it. How many people will try to you know, write, make documentaries and disprove this thing? Yeah, they've all tried, haven't they? But is it still standing? Because it's on the rock. It cannot be moved. Not one word will be altered. And what I'm talking about there is the original language. <laughs> Thus, Christ became the cornerstone upon which the building was set. And in that we must be laid upon the foundation stones of the apostles and prophets. Then we become fellow citizens in the kingdom of God. We must be laid upon this stone if we're going to be fellow citizens in the kingdom of God. And this is important. 1 Peter 2.5 says, Come, and like living stones, be yourselves built into a spiritual house for a holy, dedicated, consecrated priesthood to offer up those spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable and pleasing to God through Jesus Christ. So here is the call to come, and like living stones, be built into the house of God. How do we get built in? How do we get built in? Through fellowship is one of the ways we get built in. Fellowship is the cement that binds us all together, and that cement is love. Fellowship locks people together. Is that true? You know, how do you make it, build a friendship? Through spending time with a friend. You know, uh, conducting fellowship with a friend. And then you build a relationship that cannot be broken. Through also knowing the Word of God, you must know the Word of God. If, if you don't read the Word of God much, get into it, because it is the, it's our life. It's the lifeblood that's going to take us all the way to heaven, and it gets us through every hardship in life this thing will get us through. But if we don't know it or we don't know where to look, it's not going to be there for us. When we go to look, it'll just be like, oh, where do I start? But get to know it now. Also, we get, to, we get built into the house of God by the Spirit of God and through daily consecration. Now, that's important. Consecrating yourself daily. You know when you first received Jesus when you were born again? And I don't know about you, but you, were, you felt like your sins were washed away? Who's had that experience? You were forgiven. You were born again. You were renewed and you were placed into the body of Christ. And you were a new creature in Christ. You were consecrated. Now, how many of you within a day or two felt like they had just got themselves filthy again? Yeah? What that tells me is it's, it's Paul said, I die daily. I die daily. He consecrates himself afresh. Every morning he gets up, I consecrate my day to you, my Lord. This is your day. I am your servant. Use me your purposes today we must be consecrated daily we must ask God to forgive us for our daily sins that's in the Lord's prayer forgive us our debts as we forgive those or forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us so that's a daily prayer we've got to pray it every day forgive me for my sins because we commit sins daily this is important we then become a living sacrifice offered up to God holy and blameless and pleasing in his sight so 1 Peter 2.6 says, For thus it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a chosen, honoured, precious, chief cornerstone, and he who believes in him, who adheres to, trusts in, and relies on him, shall never be disappointed or put to shame. 
Now, just before I go on, I just got to, I just got to pray. Lord, I just pray right now that your blood will come and wash over all of us here. Lord, I come against every spirit. I bind every spirit in the name of Jesus that is trying to come into this room now and get into everyone's minds and distract us from the Word of God and distract us from what the Spirit is trying to say to us in the name of Jesus. I command you now, Satan, to get out of this place in your holy name. And I ask, Lord, that you straight away, you put your angels on high alert and place them around this building in the name of Jesus. And I pray that your blood would just wash over us and through us now by the Spirit of God. Soften our hearts, Lord. If we've got hardened hearts, just soften them. Soften them, Lord, because we so desperately need to hear what you have to say. Don't let us be hard any longer. Lord, forgive us for our sins. Help us to change. Help us to change, Lord, because you want to speak to your people. And Lord, the time is closing in on your return. And we haven't got much time. We haven't got enough time to be hard any longer. We've got to be soft and pliable by the, for the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm pointing out here in 1 Peter 2.6 that the prophets declared that Jesus was the chief cornerstone of the house of God. The prophets declared it a, a thousand years or wherever, 700 years before Jesus came. We who trust in him shall rejoice in his presence all the days of our life, and we shall dwell in his house forever. This is the promise. We shall rejoice in his presence all the days of our life. And that's what we should be doing. Guys, who rejoices in the presence of the Lord every day? Put up your hand if you do. If you don't, keep your hand down, because I want to know that too. Who rejoices in God every day? Who loves the days that God gives us? We should, shouldn't we? And you know what? If we don't, we've got, to, we've got to rejoice even in our sufferings. We've got to rejoice even in our hardships. You know, Peter and John, taken and flogged by the Pharisees. They, they got him flogged, but both. And they came out. What were they doing? Who knows? Singing and Rejoicing that they are found worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. It's an honour to suffer for his name. Now, suffering takes many different dimensions, doesn't it? We suffer in all forms. And I know a lot of you have suffered. But we've got to take that, we can either let that suffering make us hard, unpliable, make us have hate in our heart, unforgiveness in our heart. Or we can let that suffering change and transform us and make us more lovable, you know, full of life. You know, because I've gone through that. I've got through it. Now I'm at a better place. And God brought me through it. Thank you, God. We've got to keep acknowledging what God is doing in us and stay rejoicing him. As we read once uh, a few, few weeks ago when Job, this terrible, terrible thing happened to Job. He lost all his... All his Farm animals, donkeys and oxen, and you name it, and they're all dead. And then, and all stolen. All his servants were killed. And then, at the final straw, just before the the last servant came and said, "Your f- kids have been killed." Great windstorm just destroyed them. And what did Job do? He fell on his knees and gave glory to God, praised and worshipped Him. When he heard that news, I, I know, you know. I couldn't imagine hearing that news, but imagine falling on your knees and rejoicing and praising God. He gives and he takes away. 
What an attitude. What an attitude. And that's why that book of Job is there for us to take from that attitude. And he said, in all these things, Job did not sin before the Father. And he didn't curse the Father. Even when his wife said, curse the Father and die. Curse God and, and die, she said. Good wifely advice. What did he do? He wouldn't. He would not do it. He was stricken with sores. His body was aching. He had boils all over him. He was scratching them with a stone, trying to get some type of relief. And he would not curse God. He would not stop giving him glory. Isn't that wonderful? We have to have that attitude, especially as we get older and our backs go and knees go and everything goes. <laughs> We've got to find a place to just keep giving him. <laughs> the closer we get to the grave, the harder it is to keep the body moving, isn't it? So I'll just back up on that. We who trust in him shall rejoice in his presence all over the, all the days of our life and we shall dwell in his house forever. And on the day of judgment, we will not be disappointed or put to shame when God and Jesus reveals their glory. I've, I've said this many times to this church. If, if I could pinpoint what my job is as a minister, it is to prepare God's people for judgment day. That's really what I'm all about. Getting everyone that's under my care through, in, through judgment and onto salvation and eternal life in the kingdom. And that would be my goal in life as a minister. And I can't understand how anyone could not have that as the reason for their being a minister. And that means that if I'm going to have that as the goal, then I have to really find out what Scripture says about judgment and how we'll be judged and, and, and what you can do to lose your salvation because it is possible to lose your salvation. Because if it wasn't, then Paul would never have said, I've beaten my body and made a slave so that after I've preached to others, I will not be disqualified for the prize. If he couldn't be disqualified, he wouldn't have mentioned that in the Bible, would he? Yeah, if he just was saved and that's it, he's, he's, he's in the kingdom. He wouldn't have mentioned that. But no, he beat his body, made him a slave, meaning holy, so that after he preached to others, he is still going to go in. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to beat our bodies, make them slaves, not with whips and, you know, you know, get blood pouring and going and all that sort of stuff. You don't want to do that. You just want to make sure that you live a life holy before our Father who sees all, whose eyes are never not upon you. That's pretty daunting, isn't it? Imagine, I could just imagine what it would be like if Bill followed me around all day, every day, just watched my every move. Everywhere I went, he's just watching me. I get a bit self-conscious after all. <laughs> Saying, can you just take your eyes off me just for a moment? But God does not take his eyes off us even for a moment. Now the Holy Spirit might, you might grieve the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit might depart from you for a time because if you've grieved him through sin, think of it this way. If someone goes and who claims to be a Christian sits down and watches pornography, I'll guarantee you the Holy Spirit's not in him watching that porn with him. Right? Because the Holy Spirit is holy. There's no way the Holy Spirit can sit with a man in him and watch porn. So that Holy Spirit will depart. He will be grieved. He will leave. And when he repents, the Holy Spirit will come back. 
So we've got to stay under the blood. We've got to stay holy. We've got to be ever conscious that God's eyes are upon us. Ever conscious. Never let that uh, depart from your mind that God is watching your every move. You know? If I was to screen my life up there, you would not think much of me by the end of it. This is how merciful God is. But I guarantee you, any one of you, if we were to screen your life, all the nitty-gritty, the things that you really, or you never did, or whatever, or even forgotten you did, if we got to sit here and watch it, we wouldn't think much of you at the end. But this is how wonderful the grace of God is. He washes it away. He washes it away. And that's why I'm saying, consecrate yourself every day to Jesus. Wash, let him wash your sins away so you can stand up clean the next day and go for all that day and go forward in him. Because sins accumulate, they fester, they make you feel terrible, they, they strip you of joy. Is this right? Strip you of joy. They depress you. There shouldn't be a depressed Christian on earth. Christians should never, ever get depressed. If they were consecrated daily, if they had repented of all their sin and they had their sins washed away, depression could not come near them. The only reason there's depression is because we let sins fester in our lives. And they're hard to deal with, they're hard to live with, they're hard to carry. You know, Jesus says he'll carry it for us, he'll take it from us. He died, he took it all on the cross. Get your sins off you, throw them to the cross, nail them on. Get them off you. And then live in the joy of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 2.7 says, To you then who believe, who adhere to, trust in and rely on him, is the preciousness. But So to us who believe, the Lord is precious, isn't he? Yeah? Is he precious to you? But for those who disbelieve, it is true. The very stone which the builders rejected has become the main cornerstone and a stone that will cause stumbling and a rock that will give men offence. They stumble because they disobey and disbelieve God's word as those who reject him were destined and appointed to do. Our Lord is a rock of offence to the unbeliever. The unbelievers are sons and daughters of disobedience and therefore they disbelieve God's word. Convenient to disbelieve in God and not believe in God when you don't want to give up sin, isn't it? 2 Corinthians 2.16 says, To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are life-giving perfume. That rhymes. But isn't that wonderful? To those who are perishing, well, that's not wonderful. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. When you preach the word to someone who doesn't want to give up their sin, it just smells like doom and gloom to them. They don't want a bar of you. But to those of us who are being saved, we are life, life-giving perfume. And it's a, we are a beautiful aroma, an aroma of life. Now here's the part I wanted to get to. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a dedicated nation, God's own purchased special people, that you may set forth the wonderful deeds and display the virtues and the perfections of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. That's the revelation of who we are in Christ. 
Put up your hand if you feel like a priest. Very good. Yeah? Yeah? Priestess? Priestesses? Amen. Amen. Come on, who's, who's a priest here? Who's a priestess here? Yeah. We all are. That's who we are in Christ. Good on you, Bruce, for leading the way in that. <laughs> He's went up, yep. <laughs> we are chosen by Christ, handpicked. Isn't that nice to know you were handpicked? He didn't, he didn't stuff up when he handpicked you. He knew what he was doing. He looked down and said, yep, Matthew, you're perfect for the job. I pick you. <laughs> for what purpose? This is the interesting part. We need to know what purpose. To be a royal priesthood. What do priests do? They minister to the Lord, don't they? They come before God and they offer the sacrifices in the Old Testament. They put the they do all the slaughtering. That I'd get someone else to do that. <laughs> you do that part. 